All right, so this is this is Systems Live, which um, kind of a ambiguous name, but maybe it's not so ambiguous if you know Timothy and I. I'm Jeff Lindsay, and then I'm Timothy Fitz, and uh, we're gonna be talking about Flynn, I think, today. Deep diving on Flynn. So the first and most obvious question is, what is Flynn? I think. Um, so it's an open source project to build more or less an open source Heroku, but that's sort of the easy description. It's sort of a Heroku plus plus. It's a toolkit for building distributed systems in the model of Heroku, as well as pulling together best practices from a lot of other organizations and systems like Google and Twitter. And it's probably one of the only things like it. There are a lot of other projects that. Uh, focus on certain aspects of the this problem, um, and Flynn just kind of brings it all together in sort of a single, fairly simple but component-oriented system that's pretty broken down into components. And so it, the idea is that you can actually customize and um, you know replace parts. It's really so that you can. It's a like I said, it's like a toolkit, a toolbox of components to build your own system. So the idea is I've got my code and I've got a server and I want my code on that server and I want that process to be easy and straightforward and Flynn handles all of that. Yeah, with the assumption that you're actually going to be growing to some um, to some amount of complexity, right? Because if you're if you're building a simple web application and you can deploy it on Heroku um, and you don't want to use, I mean, if you want to use Heroku, that's that's fine. You can use Heroku. If you want to run your own Heroku for cost reasons or for control reasons, you can deploy uh, a, a um, sort of simple instance of Flynn and sort of use it as is. But the real power comes in actually like breaking it apart or customizing it because that's um, it's really about doing more than you can do with Heroku and doing more of the types of things that um, large organizations end up doing. Um, a lot of the concepts are based on uh, systems that are used in production at scale like Google and Twitter and Twilio and a bunch of other companies. And so it's a, sort of assuming that you're going to want to grow into a, a more um, complicated service-oriented architecture, um, which is pretty common. Is kind of the default way that most applications end up um, evolving. And so then the other the other interesting thing to me about Flynn is that it's sort of a new layer. Um, like uh, you, you could compare it with, say, uh, OpenStack, which you, while working at NASA, worked on Nebula, which is sort of the precursor. Um, how would you compare and contrast those? Um, well, it's funny because I think they can obviously work together. I mean, what... What OpenStack gives you is more or less uh, the AWS family of web services, which the most useful is maybe EC2, maybe S3, but um, we'll just say S3 or EC2, being able to spin up machines. And um, I think the interesting thing is that with Flynn, you don't really think about it's it's trying to go from a host-oriented architecture to a services-oriented architecture, and so spinning up hosts is not as important. And so I actually um, 
used to think that uh, something like before Flynn existed, that there would, it would make sense to run Flynn on top of something like an OpenStack on top of your own hardware. But it actually makes more sense, and you have a much simpler system to actually run Flynn directly on your own hardware if you have it, um, because there's really no need for um, OpenStack unless you actually need to provision hosts for some reason. And if you do, you can always run OpenStack, you know, on your on some subsystem of your own hardware. But um, you can, but if you want to, you can run OpenStack if you're already running it, um, and then run Flynn on top of that, because then you're just Basically, imagine running Flynn on top of EC2, which is kind of what it was designed to run on. But I think one of the cool things is that it's also, you get a lot of uh, the same benefits from it um, running it on your own hardware without something like OpenStack. Which, I mean, if you know the complexities of like OpenStack, it's a huge open source project. Um, it's I would I would imagine it to be a, quite a win to to be able to remove that amount that complexity from your system. So, so does that mean that Flynn is going to grow to handle like setting up databases or part of that stack is it going to own? So, I mean, initially that because my my take is usually that state is is often like the most difficult problem. Um, and I was I was rereading um, some some papers on distributed systems, and it's always about like dealing with state, for sure. And uh, so so databases are the kind of hard technology to to scale and, and deal with, and everybody's data uh, concerns are different. Like everybody's data problems are different. So what we're trying to do is set up a system that will let you. Um, Eventually, uh, eventually help people kind of solve different problems. The, basically, the approach is, and this starts getting into more of the like, how does Flynn work? But um, eventually, we want, we want to basically make it so that there are concepts like, um, um, well, imagine Heroku's Postgres service. It's it's a database as a service. It's really great. It's a self serve you know database. It's all the um, management of the database is kind of taken care of for you. And we want to take that experience and make that into something, uh, into an appliance that, like Flynn, out of the box, you get uh, a da- database as a service kind of experience. But you have, unlike Postgres as a service, unlike Heroku's Postgres service, you can actually go in and, and management, manage it and customize it with certain APIs and stuff like that. Um, the APIs and, and the management and your customization would be done through all the sort of um, patterns that Flynn exposes, things like service APIs and building containers and using um, uh, components like etcd for coordination or, or Zookeeper or whatever, like, and service discovery for, for coordinating and, and managing them, as opposed to uh, actually like shelling into a box and managing it via command line. Uh, commands. That's basically one thing that we're trying to uh, dissolve out of the kind of standard operations game is is trying to make it so that you don't you don't really think about shelling into a machine and controlling things from the command line. It's all services and programmatic. So, um, is Flynn going to have an answer for schema changes? 
It's well, that's up to every uh, every database, right? Because it's going to be some handle schema changes pretty differently. So Flynn is not directly addressing any particular problems um, with state, but is trying to set up a framework that will allow people to build these kinds of um, clusterable appliances that expose either a particular technology like Postgres or Redis um, or more specific applications of those technologies um, for a particular function. Because really a database is such a general purpose thing and depending on the technology it has different ways you can use it. And I really kind of imagine appliances that are um, customized for certain uses in the same way that you can use Nginx as a load balancer or to serve static files. Those are really two different functions and use cases for it. And so the way I imagine appliances is that they will be function-oriented as opposed to like technology-oriented. But that's all part of the, the ecosystem that would come out of this. And it overlaps a lot with the Docker ecosystem of containers because it's all just containers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's kind of the interesting part is that Flynn is really just one layer. It's it's a it's still just a framework, you know, even more so than Heroku. Yeah, and actually, I think because um, I spent a lot of time with platform services uh, like App Engine. I know people that worked on App Engine, and then because I was super excited by App Engine when it came out, and the most of that excitement came from that concept that was really not didn't have a word until way later. Um, no ops. And I love that word. Some people don't like it, but I love it from a from a describing the user experience. Right? There's no operations um, from from the point of view of a an engineer when you're using something like a platform service. Of course, there is operations behind the scenes. Right? That's the whole point. But a lot of it is automated, and then the operations is about managing that that system. Right? Um, so. Uh, the design of, of Flynn is based a lot on the design of Heroku. I'm spending a lot of time with, with those guys using the system and, and talking about how it works and really kind of pushing it to its limits um, for a really long time. And uh, and then also kind of building and, and applying those same kind of design or architectural patterns in, in companies like Twilio and seeing them used at other places like DocCloud, which is um, the Docker guys. And uh, just kind of a lot of other best best practices. For example, we have, um, uh, even though, like you said, it's really all one layer, we actually have the a conceptual layer um, called layer zero. And we have layer one and really everything else we just kind of throw in layer one. So I'm not even use- sure how useful this that layer separation is because really layer zero just means the minimum number of components to kind of give you something useful but at the same time that layer is um, independently useful if you throw away layer one you can actually build something else with um, with layer zero and most of layer zero is about uh, implementing more or less a scheduling system similar to Mesos or uh, Google Omega and uh, and that in itself is like at the heart of the abstraction that Flynn provides, which is going from hosts to thinking about services or um, even more generally jobs. 
And so um, that's the that's really the the main idea is that everything is based on jobs, and jobs are just things that run in containers. And our container technology is Docker. Um, so there's, I think, um, yeah, but the whole system is based on this idea that everything is is the same thing, and um, that might even be more of a uh, I don't know if you would call that an elegant design uh, than um, Heroku, because for example, the the Docker project, um, obviously the the Dot Cloud guys kind of were coming at it in the same from the same perspective after having run Dot Cloud, which has a very similar, basically the same offering as Heroku. Just they've they use different technologies. They more or less design the same system, and they were dealing with containers and and all this in the same way that, that uh, Heroku did. But I came from it, I was using Heroku before I met the Dot Cloud guys. And I thought that the number one sort of component to build a system like Flynn would be um, like a like Heroku dynos, a component that would manage Heroku dynos, which are basically containers. I like to call them high-level containers because that's more, it because they're they're more than like whatever the, existing concept of a container that LXE provides. It's a little bit more than that, and so I call them high-level containers. But this concept of a high-level container or something like a dyno, and the way that they um, that they evolved at Heroku was very, you know, they evolved from kind of throwing together the various technologies that, you know, LXC and C groups and, and adding things like the copy and write file system, and they kind of those things evolve together, whereas Docker was designed to kind of package those up into a single model, which is this high-level container model that Docker is what's so, so great about Docker. And so now that we have that as sort of this standalone piece, like conceptually, it's just one thing um, that makes designing the rest of Flynn kind of, um, you know, it was designed to, to build off of that core, core component at the bottom. So everything in, in Flynn is actually running in a container. And there's a lot of other um, similar kind of platform services that um, are sort of not as as pure. Um, some of them will have a lot of this sort of management infrastructure for that platform running outside of containers because you want, because all, all they are using containers for is to isolate the applications that they're running. Um, and so it sort of creates this separation between the two systems, right? Your your applications are different than your applications or the services that you're running on them are different than the you know services and components that are running and managing them. And with Flynn that was sort of a it turns out to be, you know, if you can if you can do it, it makes the entire system a lot simpler. But it also makes it a lot more uh, hackable because you can at some point be able to uh, replace and deploy components at that at the Flynn you know layer, whatever that is, in the exact same way as you deploy components for your own application. So in a way, it's like Flynn is really there's no real boundary between Flynn and your your application. Um, it only seems like it when you start using it, and then when you when you realize oh it's all the same thing, you have this probably I hope a tremendous. Um, uh, feeling of empowerment, you know, that you can customize the system. 
So do you imagine, like, uh, in the future, developers will run Flynn on their own laptops and use it as sort of a, a local deploy as well? Yeah, um, both due to the container uh, part of it, uh, because everything runs in containers, that basically means that the only system requirement is that you have a system that can run Docker. Which is, OS X is coming, I'm hearing. Uh, I, mean, I, saw, I saw a beta build or something. Yeah, I mean, people are trying to do that, and it won't be this. Docker is basically trying to support different um, container backends, and um, I'm not sure how, how exactly that will affect, like, how consistently all the containers run. But let's assume, even if that doesn't happen, you can run a, a VM on your machine and be able to have a, a Linux system that can run Docker. And you would be able to run, uh, minus all the, the networking things that you would have in a production system, production cluster, you would be able to run all the, the components of your system on a single host. Um, and that's really powerful for a lot of reasons, not just development, but also testing. Because um, at Twilio, there's you know something like 200 different services, and all of those services are made to run in production on effectively different hosts because they have a host-oriented system, which means you have to spin up something like 200 hosts just to kind of really test the entire system. So there's this test cluster uh, they run on EC2. So there's this this um, uh, an EC2 account that is used for testing. And they have all the nodes up that you know you want to test them. So if you want to test a component in the cluster, you would deploy it to this test environment with everything else running. Only one person can use it at a time. And if you want to re, um, you know, initialize the entire cluster, it would take quite a long time because it takes a while to spin up a bunch of VMs. Um, whereas with Docker, because it's such a lightweight technology, it can take, you know, probably to spin up 200 containers would probably take a second or two. And so being able to do all of that on a VM on your laptop is is incredibly powerful. Um, and then and then to say that basic that you know again assuming uh, minus the the networking stuff that it's more or less running the exact same thing as it would in production that's huge, right? Because all the containers are basically going to be the exact same thing. So. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the kind of part part of that ideal design. One of the ideal properties is that you're running, you're able to run, you know, your entire system on a laptop, almost exactly as it would in production. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the day when uh, I don't have this like, oh, it worked on my machine, but then not in the cluster because X. You know, and getting getting rid of all of those X's and, and figuring out, you know, some of those are unavoidable, but uh, but a lot of them are like, oh, I ran the wrong version, oh, I ran the wrong X, and now people are turning to, to Vagrant and oh, just spend twenty minutes running uh, your chef recipes on a Vagrant box and then do a full code deploy locally. It's like way way too uh, slow and unwieldy and things like that. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to you know split second micro deploys locally mm -hmm. um and i don't i don't know how close flynn is to that but flynn is definitely in the right direction for that you know, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's pushing that boundary yeah it's it's kind of it, it's trying to get to that ideal and it's you know who knows how you know when we'll ever get to a point when you can consistently get that if you can ever get that experience of what you're testing locally on your laptop is the same thing in production it doesn't seem possible you know because of 
like you know you can't run the same database with the same amount of data you know a lot of the time so there's always going to be differences but trying to minimize those differences is you know where you you get a lot of benefit from yeah i think i think the big step forward right now is get people to the point where they're running the same versions of everything on the same os's like not the same hardware hardware differences we've mostly abstracted pretty well and not the same data data is hard even if you have the same data having a different processor and different ram and different environment just you know data is not actually that useful but yeah uh, so docker helps a lot with that because it's it's the thing that's basically saying i mean docker does help with this it means for any one component application service whatever that it's going to be running in a consistent environment that it's going to have all its dependencies on that system will be uh consistent you know from when you're running it in development or wherever and then running it in production if you're running the same container but the thing that you don't get is consistency across containers right because that's you know docker doesn't you know docker doesn't solve that problem right um and flynn doesn't um specifically try to solve that problem but definitely helps um it really depends on i think it flynn will provide the tools to be able to to kind of really help with that problem so I want to I want to switch to a, a slightly related topic. Uh, I want to turn the time back six seven years. Oh, I know what's going to happen. Uh, and I want to talk about a startup that I funded that failed. Um, that you you know a thing or two about this startup, and I, and I bring it up because uh, because I, I distinctly recall being in Palo Alto and having you pitch me on the idea of doing a startup with you, centered around source control and deployment and continuous integration and that whole pipeline and uh and i remember i remember saying that that the world wasn't ready for it (laughs) the world is still not ready for it uh you know i I see i I think it's it's, changed yeah yeah, it's changed but but uh i you know maybe it's not i think i think the early adopters are ready for that service now which Mm -hmm. is which is interesting to me that, that in a short six or seven years that's so what year was that? Two thousand six or seven or something like that. I think that? it was six. Yeah. Six okay. So the story there is, um, I, uh, as as a person that does a lot of pro- this is pre GitHub, pre Git really. This was back when uh, SVN is what people were using, and it, it was sort of like, oh, you, you're using CVS, you know. But but to set the timeline up, it was sort of like it was it was maybe it wasn't pre Git, but it was just as Git was coming out. Just as Git was coming and out, like yeah, it, just as GitHub was coming yeah, out. Yeah, but basically there was no like winner in the distributed. There's there's right. Mercurial and and uh, Darks and and a couple of others, um, and there was no like. And they were terrible at the time. Yeah, like, everything. Like they were they were really was, really yeah. bad. Like they were rough, and you had to really be interested in the ideas yeah. behind them to enjoy it. And Subversion was winning. Like Subversion was everywhere, and CVS was like the the bad old one. Like that people were still using. Creatively. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was starting a lot of projects, and um, as as I continue to do, um, but I didn't have a GitHub. I didn't have anything like that. And I was trying to make open source projects. And every time you create an open source project, you need to have a public repository and usually some sort of like wiki or something for documentation and um you know some other nice infrastructure stuff and i had stumbled across a project that i really liked that kind of solved all those things in an integrated way called track and so i remember a lot of not uh, 
I think more than now, a lot of open source projects use track. It was, yeah, I mean, prior to GitHub, it was like de facto standard. Right. And maybe one in three or something. So track was uh, written in Python, but it could be really used for any project and gave you um, this this great sort of integrated system. It was actually also very component-oriented. Its, its architecture has affected a lot of the way I think about systems, actually. But uh, it, had a, it had a wiki and a, a timeline that showed all your wiki changes, tickets. But the other big thing was obviously um, issue tracking was kind of the big thing. That you know, wiki was nice, but you always need issue tracking with your project, right? So it did issue uh, tracking, and it had some other stuff, but also had a plugin system. You see, you could throw all kinds of other stuff in there. And uh, I was setting these up a lot uh, for my projects, and so I decided to set up a system to automate that sort of provisioning of those things. And this was actually inspired by um, my friend who had built uh, a, one of the first hosted wiki services. PBWiki. PBWiki. Uh, he did it at the at an event that we started together called Super Happy Dev House. And he just threw this prototype together that took like the simplest wiki software you could find, and then put in your email and a name, and then it would give you your own provisioned wiki. This turned into PBWiki, which is now PBWorks, and is um, apparently one of the largest wiki farms, like private wiki farms, on the internet. And uh, so, anyway, this after he did that, and it kind of started taking off. Um, we started doing that with a bunch of stuff. Um, we called it peanut butterization at the time. It was just our sort of in-joke of like taking some open source system and then building a self-serve hosted version of it that would basically just provision itself and give you a, a hosted version. We did it. I, I did it for um, PHP BB for a little while. I didn't really maintain it that long, but we called it Jelly BB. And then there was um, the other one was one for track, which was really useful because I was starting a lot of projects and other people were starting projects at DevHouse that are all programmers and stuff. So um, at some point, I just said, "Oh well, this is this is really interesting. Maybe I could do this as a as a startup, the same way that David did um, PBWiki." So I came up with a clever sort of I called it DevJavu, um, which you know there's always mixed feelings about the name, but obviously play on deja vu. D-E-V-J-A-V-U. Oh. Yeah. DevJavu, and it had a ninja logo. And uh, it was this really simple uh, con- it's a concept of, like, it had a really simple homepage with you just put in your email and a project name, and you hit a button and you get um, track. And it wasn't, the idea was to not be like, um, you know, like a... Uh, I don't know what you would get, like a PHP hosting service that came with an add-on that said, here's a track and an SVN repo, and then it gives you um, Webmin or something like that to manage it. The idea was it was like a product, right? Yeah, like you were competing with DreamHost and like yeah, the, like the cPanel era. Yeah, so there weren't, okay. Um, anyway, this is kind of a long-winded version of this, this story to talk about the continuous um, deployment stuff or integration. But um, so DevJavu was a startup um, that I said I was going to do this as a startup. I got you and some other friends to sort of do seed investment in it, and uh, a bunch of actually a bunch of cool projects. Merb was on it, um, which eventually got merged into Rails, and there are a bunch of other kind of interesting um, projects that were using it. And then right around the same time, GitHub came out, and it was sort of not very well known. And I sort of talked to those guys, and actually the reason why I reached out um, to them was because they. And I remember on their homepage as a feature, they would say they they have webhooks. Yeah, yeah, they took your word. Yeah. The, the, so the 
probably the most famous thing to come out of Deja Vu, in fact, was Webhooks. And probably the the thing that made it the most famous was the competitor that put the nails in the coffin for Starhub. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're they're really the best, one of the best uh, applications of, of Webhooks. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, the whole Webhook thing came from trying to expose SVN hooks. Um, and then I was like, wow, there's tons of other stuff you can do. And, um, so I, th- I, th- I always think that's interesting that like almost all of your like ideas that have caught on have all been really focused on this one area of just like developer tools, productivity, deployment, um, and then and kind you- of thinking about systems. I mean, ho- webhooks were was really about making kind of more like taking silos and getting them to kind of interact, right? And that's how they're used at GitHub is they're used for integrations, right? And so that's. Yeah. Um, building these kinds of loose architectures to so me you're is kind very... of a glue guy. Well. Yeah, it's kind of a glue you're, guy. You're... I, I, I spoke at a conference called GlueCon. <laughs> it made a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, it's weird that you didn't start that conference. In fact, well, I know I wouldn't want to do that. It's... So, but anyway, so DevRavu kind of, uh, you know, I was doing all right, but didn't like see a lot of traction. I don't think I was really committed to it just because I do a lot of different projects. Probably doing some other stuff at the same time. You were what twenty two as well, so. and uh, and GitHub was like taken off, and I'm like, man, okay, so we really need to like add Git support. Yeah. But at the same time, so basically, we were trying to figure out what's the next thing for DevJavu. How do we take it to the next level? Um, and I think Git would have been a big thing, but you and I, it was, which comes back to why you brought this up. We had the conversation of what if it provided. Um, tools for continuous integration. Yeah. I mean, we were having that conversation before you even built the thing. Um, yeah, there was something that came... CI and CD and... and well, it, CD didn't exist yet. Um, it did, it did, but it was it, it was not a thing yet. Yeah, you had, it you wasn't had, popular. You didn't popularize it. Um, you didn't write your, your blog post about it? I think I had spoken about it by then, though. Um because I, I talked about it at Bar Camp Block. That was actually its its uh, origin story. Anyway, so yeah, it, like like DevJava was really interesting and and sort of walking towards Flynn. It was it was like like well, okay, GitHub's doing this social coding thing, which is kind of cool, but not really the direction you wanted to take DevJava. And you were thinking more like small teams and people paying you money. And um, yeah, I and, think and I'm trying to differentiate. It was like. You know, closed source projects, private pro- and oh, actually, funny story. This is how I met Solomon, and I didn't know it at the time. But the dot cloud guys were using DevJavu. Oh wow, that is I did not know that either. Pulling it all together, yeah. But then dot cloud is now Docker, and Docker is yeah. just plans. It's so, all. That's really funny. I always forget about that one, but he he remembers because he was using it. So I'm sure I've got like support emails and stuff with Solomon. Yeah, it's the blanket thing, the interconnectedness <laughs> of the universe. So, um, so that's, yeah. So, so we ended up not doing any CI CD because we thought that the market wasn't there. We didn't think people were ready for it. And I think that's, well, I, I don't that's think happened. we had that. Uh... I, I had that conversation with you before, before it started. I think then you, you thought to do developer tools at some point, like you went to command line stuff and you, were, oh, yeah. you went, you went deep in that direction and then you just hadn't raised that much money. Yeah. And uh, you know, eventually, ba- basically, because GitHub was doing so well, I figured I just didn't want to like compete or really kind of really force um, dif- you know differentiation. I just wanted to kind of do other things. 
Yeah, you hit this point where I feel like like the thing that was in your head, GitHub built better than you built. Yeah. And then at that point, you were like, well, I'm not going to play catch up with them. Yeah, I mean, they, they'd already else. solved that problem. Um, and so, so DevJavu was spun down. But from DevJavu really comes the kernel of all these ideas of like, what mm-hmm. what more did you want to do that GitHub has never done? Like, they've just now started to do like their deployments API, which is just, they're just a dumb server for data. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not doing anything deployment related and they don't seem to care or want to. Well, I mean all there's also all this other kind of continuous deployment startups. Yeah, now, which is really funny because Exactly then, what we said the world wasn't ready for. And right now I, don't, I still don't think they're ready because I don't think a lot of them are like there's huge demand. I mean there's people that want continuous deployment, but they either don't know enough about it or because really it, it it's the whole like DevOps thing. It affects the entire organization, right? And it really takes a real good understanding of it to really make it. It's work a for it's you. a weird intersection of people because it's people who want continuous deployment, which is already pretty small, or want really good continuous integration and testing, which is which is also really small, and then are willing and are able to outsource that aspect of their business mm-hmm. and trust someone else with their source code. And so it's it's just startups, like it's almost no one else. Um, but but I think that's that's fine. I think that's the right early adopter market. In another five or ten years, it'll be totally different. So yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, everybody's everybody's process is different too. Their technologies and everything. I mean, that was kind of one of the the problems I had with like a distributed um, building. The, there's all these kind of great like idealized platforms for building distributed systems. Um, you know, Erlang. Uh, or um, I'm trying to think. Well, Go has uh, this Go circuit, which is kind of borrowing a lot of the the Erlang ideas and bringing them into Go. And there are a couple of others that were kind of these. Um, I've heard and a lot of stuff. Like I had some people give some tech talks at Twilio about these systems that were you know designed to kind of address a lot of the problems of building distributed systems, but they were all very like. You, 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 you know, they all have their constraint of like it's got to be Go or it's got to be Erlang or mm-hmm. it's got right, and that's why service-oriented architectures made much more sense for me because it meant that you could choose your own technology, um, and and the Heroku concept, which was so great, is both Heroku and DocCloud. They figured out that it's just about Unix processes and just saying. You know, whatever you want to run, figure out the environment for it, and then we can run it. Um, and so, I think in that way, Flynn is sort of uh, a very pragmatic system uh, that should be pretty universally useful because of the fact that it can run any any you know stack, any technology, um, and provide some of the some of the tools necessary for building a distributed system, um, and and a lot of the either as components or as like the baseline for you to build the components that you need. Um, so, and one of those things that the system is really built for is continuous, you know, continuous delivery in general, I think, both like because of the concept of a container and it being the same, you know, contain, local container and you run that in production or um, some of this other stuff. Like, I mean, Heroku actually did great stuff for for kind of continuous delivery type stuff in terms of like automating that that deployment process and abstracting out and automating that the build process um, 
and and integrating it into a workflow that people really enjoy, you know, Git push. It made so much sense. Um, and obviously Flynn borrows a lot of that. But we've seen lots of, like, DocCloud didn't do Git push. They had, like, an rsync-based system that was, um, you know, they had their command line client, and all it did was wrap rsync, and that worked too. Um, it was pretty much the same, pretty pretty much the same experience. Um, and, and depending on, like, you know, how you're set up, some people actually want it to pull from a repository as opposed to pushing. And so and everybody's build process is different too. So I think um, in Flynn, we kind of want to create, this hasn't been, we've only really kind of talked about it. We haven't really written anything yet. But this concept of a, a system or a subsystem called Flynn Pipeline, which would basically let you define, like, you're going to have this Git front end that takes it, and then it's going to go through these steps, and then it's finally going to produce an artifact that will be given to the controller and then run as a job, um, or not run as a job. Maybe you're just pushing a, a container image that you want to build and put into the um, the image repository, or you know whatever whatever you want to have like go through some kind of build process. You can you can kind of program into this pipeline. So then a lot of this. Um, and that's that's integrated into the system, right? Um, and so again, it's kind of taking all every everything that you would want in a system, like an ideal system based on latest concepts of uh, continuous delivery and all this, and kind of because it really it does require the whole system to to be designed around this. And so that's what the Flynn is partly designed to address. So I, th- I feel like we've covered Flynn in the present. We talked about DevJavu, which I kind of see as like the past of Flynn. Um, so what I'm I'm really curious about, and what I'm like, I, I'm almost bored by Flynn, as like as as kind of blase as that sounds, because it's it's a thing that I kind of understand and know. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested in like what's what's after Flynn, what's above Flynn, what's higher level than Flynn, what's the future. Well, I mean, and it, and it, I I kind of don't like talking about this just because you know we haven't made the first dev release and all this stuff, and we've you know we raised all this money and we're still trying to get that the first release out for the with con- continuous updates after that, and people that were able to kind of toy around because I mean it's out there like all the code is on GitHub, but and we actually got I saw somebody posted a new project that is a. A client-oriented platform system that basically just—I think all it does is maybe it shells into a system and controls Docker, but all the logic is in the client, which is kind of cool. Um, I think it's called Doc DocShip or something like that. Um, and, and they specifically called out like Doku and Flynn. <laughs> and one of the things they said about Flynn was that it was—it uh, um, uh, was—it was tons of repositories and it's not even a stable thing yet um which is which is totally fair because it's this kind of big ambitious thing but um uh yeah so it's just not out yet and i don't really i'd love to talk about the future great so let's do that okay so so your uh your kids are 18 they've been programming (laughs) for 14 years now because you taught them at four and you're telling them the story of how back in your day you didn't have this tool. What is that tool? What is what is the level above Flynn? I mean, because I because I look at a lot of open source projects and I see that the the effort of integrating them now is moving from source code. Now it's really easy, you know. Like in Go, you just import and throw the URL in uh, to to production and deployment. Like, oh, 
I can drop this package in, but now I have to feed it an S3 URL and a database URI and all this extra stuff. And so, so I'm thinking like maybe in the future, Flynn is the standard and all packages start to come with this metadata of how they wire up and wire into service discovery. Yeah. And then like, what, what's, can we, what can you start to build as you get these, right. these layers? Um, and, and well, so part of the thing is that's also the vision for Docker and uh, Solomon has this kind of envisioned at with, you know, the Docker solves this problem and that's why they've been kind of working on things like service discovery. Um, and, I, I don't know if that is the right place. It's definitely, they're all related, So, I, but I don't know if Docker is the right place to do that. Um, and so that's why we kind of took a different approach. But definitely, re- regardless of where where it lives or, or what the solution is, I do think that there will be more, um, and we've talked about this for Flynn, but some, some sort of mechanism that lets you define... You know, right now we have a lot of like manifests for defining your um, dependencies... Software wise, you know, like a gem file lock or something like that, or, you know, in, in Go, it's really great because it's just, yeah, requirements.txt. And those, those solve the, the, the runtime, you know, library requirements. But at some point, we need to talk about systems, right? And uh, this podcast is about systems, though, more generally, all systems, but it turns out to be a pretty common thing. Um, Actually, I was giving a talk at Box um, the other day because they're trying to both build an internal platform and um, kind of realizing that there is a lack of awareness of this system, um, which is <laughs> turns out to be a concept of systems thinking as well. But in general, I think there is kind of a lack of understanding of like the entire system. And one of the things that I love that Flynn could help promote is a better like systems level understanding. Um, and uh, and so, but at that level, you're thinking about things like what are the the services that have to work together, and and you know, in the same kind of like how Heroku has like backing services, except. Um, Roku, those backing services already exist, you know, as add-ons or whatever. And here, um, those things would exist as open source projects that you want to deploy in your system. And so it's basically some sort of like dependency slash system manifest that lets you, lets an open source project kind of say, this is what a system deployment looks like. And here are the dependencies of the services. Um, and something like that could be executed on a system like Flynn or you know a cluster of Docker systems or whatever. Um, that would be really great. But that's that's just one kind of neat thing, right? Um, the benefits though of that is like you know it would more or less automate the deployment of an entire complex open source project, right? Right now, if you get the source code to the thing, it talks to you about all the all the dependencies, the requirements, you need to have MySQL set up, and you have to set up those things separately, right? It'd be really great if you could say, well, here's the whole thing, um, just deploy this on X, you know, whether that's Flynn or whatever the standard thing is, and uh, it, it just works, right? And is actually a pretty, like, production-ready system. I was teaching a friend who was a mobile developer primarily, uh, some web development, and she... <laughs> Her first question after like four hours of having not deployed anything is, is it really this hard for everyone else? And it's like, yeah, we took a giant step back after PHP. 
Like, like in the PHP days, it was like, oh, you sign up for DreamHost, you pay them almost nothing, you copy a file, and you're done. Yeah. And then it just it got worse. It got worse, and it hasn't gotten better yet. And Flynn is like the the beginning of going back to that. Trying to trying to simplify the experience, but it's still a complex system. Yeah. Right. And I'm hoping that by the design of Flynn, that it's really not that complex, that a person can actually understand the whole system, because I think that's really important. Right, to understand the whole system. And the only way you can really understand the whole system is is to not, like, really, you know, make these whole, like, areas that are, like, really complicated that you're just like, oh, that's a black box. I don't understand how that works. Or, um, you know, what, what are all the, the caveats to, to that black box, right? And having tons of those black boxes, which is kind of how most people throw together their distributed systems now. Um so I'm hoping that Flynn can kind of be the, the glue for people to understand, you know, their system as a whole. So Flynn is Flynn is more glue. Flynn is like Flynn is more glue. It's always glue. Glue and tools. That I do. That's that's the Jeff motto. Glue and tools. I uh I, on the plane yesterday I had an idea for a project that I almost got finished. Um it actually is related to continuous deployment continuous delivery and uh, I've, I've thought of a bunch of different ways to do this um, so this is unrelated to Flint but it's actually based on Heroku um, so right now when you, and this is because I was working on a project, I have a couple of implementations of the JSON web token uh, spec, like I I was an early, I was involved in the discussion of that standard and then I wrote a bunch of libraries and then uh, and then uh, a bunch of people started using them, so now I have to maintain them. And uh, I really liked, though, the idea that I could automate the, the release process. Like, for the most part, it's like, okay, this pull request looks good, but now it's not going to get out until I cut a release. And that's not something I just click a button for. I have to, like, go and update my Git repository, make sure the version is bumped, and then I can make sure that I have the keys and everything set up to talk to whatever the, the package server is, and then if I've written a make file or something to kind of automate the process, which hopefully I do, I usually do, I can just do make release or whatever. Um, I would love to automate even that. Um, and uh, another thing that comes up a lot is deployment. And a lot of the stuff I deploy is stuff on Heroku. But that, again, requires doing something on the command line. I have to go and now get push from from my laptop. And so a lot of people want to solve this problem but they can't and a lot of people say you just can't do it um but i do know a way that this can be done um using heroku to to do this because you can one feature that people don't know about is you can do once you have an app on heroku you can say heroku run and you're running in the environment basically the container that everything runs in on heroku so if you say heroku run bash you get a bash uh <laughs> shell that's in the cloud it's ephemeral it'll go away when you're done um that's really cool but how do you like how do you kind of turn that into a the other cool thing is you can add your keys and stuff to the configuration the same way you would add configuration to your app you put secret keys in the environment and then your app uses that environment and so the idea is if i could turn uh turn heroku into basically a bash running engine um, then you could write scripts in your project to do the deployment and then add hooks. Not e- You could do hooks in uh, directly from GitHub, 
but you'd probably put them in Travis CI. And so the ideal that I have is where let's say I want to let's say I want to deploy something every time the build passes uh, in Travis. So I push to to master. It triggers uh, Travis CI. It does a build, and then when the build is successful, it's going to hit this URL. And this URL is basically going to um, run a script that was in the project. It's going to run it on Heroku, and what it's going to do is run some bash commands. Say like you know get pull this version and then get push to Heroku, which you can do. I've, I've done this. I've I've pushed to Heroku from Heroku, which is <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and then have it pushed to Heroku right there. The output will all come out through the that the shell in that environment. And then the way I've set it up, set up this tool that I'm working on is that output gets relayed to the to the environment that you, that you called it in. So it'll actually show the the deployment logs in your Travis CI build. Oh, nice, nice. So you can actually see you know your de- deployment in one place, and I don't have to worry about state and remembering logs and all that stuff. So, and and it's triggered by a curl, and it just streams the output out. And it, so that's going to be this this system that I've I've put together. And the same system can be done to um, to, to basically do a cutter release in the exact same way. Um, and then all your keys can be put in the environment and they're going to be encrypted kind of the same way that they're encrypted in the Travis environment. Um, and then you put a key for that inside your Travis environment encrypted. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a tool I'm working on that's coming back to the delivery stuff. Yeah, I've, I've built almost exactly the same thing for uh, CircleCI which is uh, a startup that's doing stuff similar to Travis, probably direct competitors, um, and then Doc Cloud. See, and all these people are doing things as a service, and I, I love that. Like, I used to do everything as a service. I mean, literally. Everything, everything as a service. It's kind of amazing. And now I've come back to, I'd love to th- see things as open source that can be run as a service, where there's like a, a common service And so we had, a, we had a great name for this. What was it? This service as a software. <laughs> Service as a software, sandwich hooks. <laughs> no, but I've also come up with software. Well, the, the, the appliance idea for Flynn is basically software as a service as an appliance, <laughs> which is really what it is. Right. Um, and I've also been doing things that are software with a service, like Skypipe yeah. and this tool where you download a component and it will actually deploy a service component to it automatically to something like Heroku or DocCloud or whatever, or Flynn. Yeah, yeah. you sort of envision a future where people carry around their own personal cloud, be that hosted on you know, Amazon or Heroku or their own hardware. Yeah. And then um, instead, of, instead of trusting blindly a third party, you only have to trust them that they're you know, using your cloud instead of their own. Yeah. Which, which I think for, for security stuff, I mean, like my one password, password safe, like I would love to host that on my own thing. And, uh, and I know that people working in that arena, like uh, Tahoe Laughs, is doing their um, redundant, redundant array of independent clouds. So it's, it's basically RAID, but it's like S3 yeah. and uh, Amazon, or in uh, Google's file store and a couple others. And then it stripes across them and encrypts, and you don't have to trust them at all. Um, so I, I like that future. And, uh, well, you know, I'm, uh, you know, we have our time limit, I guess. Yeah, we're... We're definitely but um, a lot of those platform stuff is because I wanted it to be easier to deploy services and stuff like this, right? And to run services, but not just run services, but run services that are mostly automated. 
because this comes to this idea of automated or auto-sustainable services. This tool that I'm building for, for deployment, continuous delivery, it's open source. It means anybody can set it up with Travis um, and set it up with an open source project and run it on Heroku, and it would, depending on where it is, probably run for free. You can actually run a public service and manage the entire thing in the same way you manage an open source project. You'd have a branch that's like your release branch or your stable branch, and when pull requests coming there, it's going to deploy a new version. And it's the maintainers have control over everything, and but nobody's doing any like operations work except for Heroku or, or whatever, right? And that would enable a lot of people to build more things as a service and build microservices and all these like public utilities because so so many people are building startups. And this comes back to another like big kind of philosophical thing. People are building startups that shouldn't exist. Like what they're the product they provide isn't a product that can necessarily like support a company or a business, a growth oriented startup. Right? right. They're building features. They're building features as opposed to products. The feature still has value. Um, if a if a bigger company built it as a as a feature, it would probably you know exist because it would be subsidized by their main product. But there are a lot of people building stuff that should exist that will not support itself as a, as a company. And part of that is because there's no other way to build that thing. Like, as a service, it consumes resources, it costs money, operations. Like, it only it only makes sense to build it as a startup. And I have great examples of this, like Notifo, Notifo and, a, and a couple of others. There are services that have disappeared because they didn't really work out. Um, and, uh, and then people like lose faith in services, like small services in general. Right, and so nobody was going to really build those things. Um, but I think people should build them and then find a way that if they provide value, they will continue to exist. And like an open source project, you, know, you find a community to maintain it and you can move on and build something else. And you don't have to like attach your life to it in the way you would a startup, right? Because you really have to attach yourself to a startup. And so I envision a world where people can build... Um, free public services that let people do things and automate the world, program the world, uh, string these services together to you know automate things in their life or whatever. And so this is sort of all related to that. Uh, it's kind of a big theme. So one thing that Flynn could be used for is to build a, an open source, auto-sustainable version of Heroku, right? Maybe someday, right? Because if Flynn can, it can run itself... Right? Then you can use Flynn and build it into this pipeline where it basically <sighs> a community could could sort of manage it. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It can manage it. It's <laughs> yeah, so what you're trying to say is that someday in the hopefully very near future, I will be looking at your mug staring at me, begging me to donate money for the survival of Flynn. Uh, yeah, Wikipedia style. Yeah, you'll be the new Jimmy Wales. I, I, I look forward to this future slash I really don't want to see it, but it'll, it'll happen. But it'll platforms happen. As, as public infrastructure would be really great. Yeah. So that, uh, that wraps up podcast number 39. So many podcasts. It's kind of kind of impressive number. Uh, recorded out of Studio East. Studio East. Yeah. Snow Day. On Snow Day. Uh, I'm Timothy Fitz. Uh, I'm Jeff Lindsay. I think we'll not be back next week. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We've got but, a weird schedule this yeah. next month or so. Yeah. But uh, anyway, thanks for for listening this time. Thanks for tuning in.